Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Um, I was talking to Andrew Byers, who is, uh, he and his wife do the uh, lovely Friday Night Frightmare podcast. Mm. And uh, we were having a nice little chat. And I said something to him that, as usual, I thought was incredibly profound. And I realized I had to say it here as well. Uh, okay. Okay. Let's see. Where's the mute button? <laughs> uh, Vanessa, when was the last time you downloaded a Neil Young song? Well, let's just make it in the last year. I've no, never. And Eric, when was the last time that you listened to an episode of the Joe Rogan podcast? Just in the last year. I have not. Well, I've listened to bits and pieces on YouTube and stuff, but not right. a full episode. Nope. So they've been in the news lately, and there's been a lot of stuff going on about them. And I had uh, posted a meme that I thought was funny, I guess, and it got taken way out of context, (laughs) I thought. Oh, dear. And uh, (laughs) had a very close friend of ours, Eric, reach out to me privately, tell me that my meme was stupid and dangerous. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, this doesn't matter. Right. It it really doesn't matter. There is a lot of people who would like you to think that this matters mm-hmm. um, because they want you arguing with each other. But uh, don't argue with your friends and family over stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I remember getting really, really upset about this situation. And then I was like, wait, I don't even know who Joe Rogan is. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're being forced into caring about something that doesn't matter. And yeah. The thing that I had said silly. to Andrew was, um, I am incredibly blessed to have the two of you, not just as co-hosts, but as friends. Yeah. Because I don't think that our politics necessarily line up. I mean, right. I'm hardcore conservative Christian. You guys are <laughs> avowed Satanists. So close, you keep trying but... to invite us to church, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not going, Let's dude. That, <laughs> but we talk about stuff sometimes on the air, mostly off the air, and it's a discussion. Sometimes our point of views do not line up. And uh, we have that discussion. Then we hug each other and we say, I'll see you next week. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate that about you guys. So I just wanted to make that a public record. I love you guys. Oh, we'll love you right back. Love for all. Yeah. All right. Let's get naked. Yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. Not Um, again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the world we live in now, though. It's it's a weird world we're living in right now. It really is. And I feel like every time I get really mad, I've been really trying to challenge myself to spend a hot minute researching and figuring out if I'm actually mad. And 99 times out of 100, I'm not. And it's more complicated than I thought. I like that you try to figure out if you're really mad or not. Yeah, it's important. It should be what's done as opposed to, I mean, I'm sure we have all typed out Facebook, Twitter, whatever. I'm not going to actually send this. Sure. Delete, done. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, we did get some, speaking of reaction. Uh, on what? On, uh, well, let me say. Oh. 
But uh, if you're going out to movies on a regular basis in Omicron-filled America, you probably deserve to catch it. That is a fact. Here's the part that's funny about that and shows he's maybe not listening as close as he thinks. How many times have you been in the theater, Kelly? Oh, once. In the last year or so, maybe? Yeah. (laughs) And you've been in the theater a a dozen times? Yeah. I've been in half a dozen or more times. Of the three of us, who's the one that actually got <laughs> the guy who's been to the theater one time and yeah. he didn't get it there? He got it someplace else. That's mm. a really kind of like weird. Did you, did you listen? You got to listen closer to you know what's actually going on. Yeah, but. and like also, I pick screenings that are purposely empty and at weird times <laughs> and at weird theaters. I wear a mask the whole like, and it's not like that. They a lot of them have been fitted with really good you know, safety upgrades. Also, you guys are not, um, you guys are not breaking the law and going to underground theaters. No, it's true. Right. Yes. We underground are allowed theater to do matches. that with yeah. rules and you guys follow the rules. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, that's, oh. that's well, I'm sorry to hear thing. that, uh, that somebody felt that way. Yes. And, and somebody was angry with me for cutting the thing and their quote to responses, uh, was to quote <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, <laughs> Tyrion Lannister may not be the best person to quote as far as a <laughs> Look, we all in, like in Peter Dinklage, but hell yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean Tyrion Lannister has got to be great. One of the best TV characters ever. 100%. But I'm not using him as an argument in politics or <laughs> censorship <laughs> thinking. Also, uh, I, I need to um, make it clear that whenever I'm angry at you guys, it is a theatrical anger. I uh, have figured this out when you're really nice to me and then you yell at me on air. <laughs> I have worked that out. Okay. Yeah, there's, uh, sometimes I will say something to make a point, but, uh, you know, a peek behind the curtain before we recorded that episode where I talked about that, yeah. I asked Eric and you, I said, do you guys mind if I give you a little gentle ribbing about uh, yeah. Yeah. cutting my stuff out? And you were both like, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we both know, yeah. and this is an old H.P. Lovecraft guy. He's a really good guy. So I had to, you know, I get to give him some ribbon too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Aww. surprised anybody listens to us through YouTube. <laughs> my my yeah, yeah. mom did for a long time. Well, I guess that's where my mom is still. Yeah. So. yeah. Although she likes the one where she can read our transcript, but has complained to me several times about when the transcript doesn't match what we say. Yeah, it's, a, it's electronically created. <laughs> it's so like Eric doesn't type that's it. That's in there listening to it, typing it up. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I got to see some cool stuff, and maybe you guys have seen some of it, or none of it, or all of it, uh, but I will start out with Nightmare Alley. Oh my god. Yeah, okay, go on. Oh, really? I've <laughs> I did, I did manage well, to watch it. Well, you have that, that surprises me. I, I thought you would have been all over this. I got interested in it enough, I'm going, oh, there's a Criterion version of the original, so I ordered that, so I've got that, I've got the new one. Wow. I went to watch them both. <laughs> okay. And and you've seen it. Vanessa. I did. Yeah, recently. I'll, I'll say this. I'll start off this way. I love the original. And I would suggest you do not watch it before you watch oh, okay. the new one. Because I don't think the new one is as good as the original. That I have not seen the original, but I've seen content that while I was watching Nightmare Alley, I was like, oh, it's this movie. And was like, okay. That's fine. You didn't you didn't love it. I'm really conflicted. I I was really mad at the end of the film and was really angry throughout going, I'm really mad about this, 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 and this. But now 
as is my way, apparently. I've sat <laughs> on it and I'm trying to process whether or not that's a fair judgment. Um, it's a pretty bleak movie. It's That was the biggest problem is it's bleak. And right now I can't really handle bleak so good. Ah, yeah. So that that's on me. That's yeah. definitely on me. You will have to agree that it is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's I mean, beautiful. The the like the places that they're filming in, uh, the set design is incredible. The actors are all really killing it. Yeah. I do feel like it's two different movies that they shoved together that I feel like I don't love. part of that could have been fixed by chopping about 40 minutes out of it. Yeah, I know Whoa. which 40 minutes I don't want. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, also, um, per use, I mean, none of this is giving anything away, but, um, Guillermo loves to do some gore. I was like, oh, that's what that looks like when that thing happens. I've always wondered. And now I know. Yeah. Well, I will say that I really, really enjoyed it, but I did not think it was as good as the original. Mm. Nice. Yeah. The original is cool. I, part of the reason it did, it popped up in some, I saw a photo of it. It's filled with like, I like 10 tarot cards. That come with it and all this kind oh, of wow, cool, cool shit. It's a really nice Criterion package. Not wow. that that's unusual. <laughs> right. That's cool. Um, well, I was just in the movie theaters. Shockingly. <laughs> Spreading <laughs> Omicron around. Yeah, me. I was just licking the seats. Um, you can quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> on Friday or Thursday, I went and saw um, Friday. Moonfall. Of course. Oh, is that out? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't even have to ask if you like it. Your smile is yeah. taking over your entire face. Well, okay. But this is... It, okay, let's be... But I don't... Because you're going to get mad at me later if I leave it at that. <laughs> it's it's really bad. I need to be extremely well, clear. It is an unbelievably bad movie in ways that it shouldn't be. But there are certain moments that are so good. And the story works way better than it has any right to. <laughs> Um, kind of fill me in on the premise of this again. Is the moon going to fall into the earth? Yes. Okay. But the rest, if I tell you anything else, it's a spoiler. So I can't tell you anything <laughs> other than the moon be crazy, yo. The gravity of the moon getting close to the earth isn't enough to destroy it right then. We have to wait until the moon actually touches the surface of the moon. Uh, yeah, it has to get real close. Okay. Real close. Right. I mean, science yeah, well, in this you know. is hilarious. The, the real problem, honestly, is... I think it's either the cinematography or the editing, but somewhere along the way, they rushed through a lot of stuff. So it's wow. hard to care about characters. And I was like, maybe oh. there's too much plot. But then I was thinking about all of other um, Emmerich's films and all the plot. <laughs> Can't be that. And it's not that because if, <laughs> no, but like seriously, if Independence Day works and you think about all the things that happen and the people you meet in Independence Day, mm -hmm. then this should work. Sure. So I think it's, I think if it had worked and they'd done it right, it would probably be a four-hour movie. But, uh, yeah. I, yeah. So I've heard none of the reviews or anything like that. Is it being well-reviewed? I have no idea. I can uh, imagine it is going to be something. panned. It's 40-something on Rotten. Um, yeah. Okay. People are going to hate it. Well, I mean, when was the last time he did a movie that was hugely successful and, I don't want to say good, but good. You know what I mean? He yeah. did some good, fun like Independence Day has its problems, and there's people that complain about whatever. Yeah. I don't care. You can't your virus. Doesn't matter. It's yeah. still fun. It's a fun, entertaining movie with some incredible, obviously star-making performances. Yeah. And um, Day After Tomorrow, I after I really enjoyed. Twenty twelve, I started to feel a little loosey goosey about it, but still a solid rewatch. Um, 
And then there's a bunch of stuff that we don't yeah, talk exactly. about. The most unbelievable thing in 2012 is that uh, John Cusack has a license that says he's like 34 years old or something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he that, was is, so that is one weathered 34-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he's not. That, it, he's one of my not favorite parts about that movie. I did hear sure. that uh, Jackass the movie did better in the box office than uh, Moonfall. I mean, they have a really good trailer. I don't, I have zero interest in watching Jackass, but I was like, this trailer is pretty solid, guys. They got, I mean, if that did better, what was the budget on Jackass, do you think? Yeah, compared oh to that. God. Three million, four yeah. million. I don't even want to think about it. it yeah. but, but in fairness, this has a lot of Chinese money. So um, I don't think, sure. I, I think they're hoping that it does bigger in China than here and are not worrying about it. There is a random Asian character squeezed in who you don't learn the name of until very far into the film. <laughs> and then you're like, why are you here? Okay. I always kind of enjoyed Jackass because they do it to themselves. Yeah. As opposed to the kind of the, some of the YouTube assholes who prank other people and do mean shit to them. It's like, mm. okay, you guys are stupid and insane and funny for five or 10 minutes, but at least you're just doing it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, I didn't watch a whole lot recently. I took a, I've started a big series of classes for Da Vinci. Oh my God. That's so, so cool. So it was like four or five, six hours a day. So I was kind of like, all right. <clears throat> I'll da Vinci's still alive? <laughs> the editing system. Oh. Yeah, the, the Even that, hearing you say editing system, it's interesting because it's been color for, I mean, it started off as a color mm -hmm. software, but a lot of people are moving into it to edit. So I'm I'm fascinated to hear how it's... it's uh, yeah, it was a color system. In the early 90s, it cost $250,000 wow. as a program, which is why the only, why everybody in Hollywood uses it. It's It's the gold standard of color correction for film. But what they do that I like personally is you've got your edit, your color, your effects, your audio, and your delivery system all in the same program. Mm -hmm. And you go into the effects and you change an effect, it immediately shows up in the edit line mm -hmm. and vice versa. And it goes back and forth so frigging smooth as opposed to, how do I export this into After Effects? Right. Okay, now it's in After Effects. I put it back. Oh, it doesn't look quite right. So I got to go back and open it up in After Effects. Yeah. Ugh. But so... Yeah, I did a lot of that. It was fun. It's a British company. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's a very British guy. <laughs> it looked like Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So, and this was the tutorial was a British guy or is Da Vinci yeah, the British? Okay. The company is too. Oh, wow. Yeah. But now they're a hardware company. They're more interested in selling you their cameras and their, yeah, their gear. So exactly. I mean, the reason why Da Vinci is blown up, Kelly, because I'm sure you really care I'm fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> is um, it was actually um, packaged in free with the Blackmagic cameras, which were these incredibly beautiful high-res cameras that um, a lot of people were getting because they were slightly affordable um, and doing cool drone stuff and all all kinds of crazy shit. So mm -hmm. yeah, and now they yeah. you can get about ninety percent of the program for free. Yeah, and pay like a one-time two fifty to own to upgrade it, and mm -hmm. then. For lifetime, upgrades are free. Whoa. And I have yet to run into a single thing in this that I could not, that I go, damn, I wish I was still using Premiere. Huh, interesting. Um, so, or Final Cut. But uh, yeah. yeah, so it's impressive. So we'll see what it's like in another, I think it ends in March. So I shouldn't <laughs> be yelling at people on forums anymore. All right, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Do my best. There you go. Well, since you led with that for your choices today, Eric, 
normally I try to kind of pick something I think maybe you didn't both see, but clearly you saw nothing, Eric. No, no, so. I've, got, I've got another one to show that I'm pretty sure neither one of you have seen. Oh, okay. <laughs> so for my well, next, then it's um, not Reacher, is it? No. Okay. I do want to see that, though, because I... Nobody's watched Reacher? I, nope, I, I like the actor that. playing Reacher, the guy who's a hawk in yeah. Teen Titans. I watched uh, all eight episodes. Yeah. I was just blown away by how entertaining it was. It's uh, not high uh, intelligence <laughs> stuff, <laughs> but it's very entertaining. And that guy is a fucking wall of a man. Yeah, he's huge. Like 6'5 and 240 pounds or something like yeah. that. He And all he does is wear tight t-shirts and everything. I was having <laughs> some moments there. Like, yes, damn, yeah. this guy is something else. Yep. He's, like, oh, he's getting in the shower again? Well, all right, got to wash all that sweat off. Yeah, he, right. I started, I saw him in his first, like this show called Blue Mountain State. Mm. Yeah. Which I think was on FX years ago where he played the doofus guy. He played the uh, ass kiss to the coach and stuff right. like that. Mm. But as the series developed, they kind of figured out He's got a little bit more. He never got fully away from being the clown of the show, but he changed significantly. Mm-hmm. And then he did that really cool show with the cars killing where you like a death race kind of thing, but it was a TV series on sci-fi. Oh, he was on that, huh? Okay. Yeah, he's, the, he's the main guy on that. So hey, it's like this weird underground actor that I really like almost everything I've seen him in. I can't even think of his name. He's got a lot going on in real life. Um, because after Blue State, he convinced uh, Spike to give him the rights to that. And then he went on Kickstarter and kickstarted a film version of it and directed it. Oh, my gosh. And that, then... Uh, that explains a lot for the movie. <laughs> yeah. And prior to Blue State, he was Aquaman on Smallville. Really? Holy and shit. then he became Hawk on Titans. Wow. And uh, when they killed him off, I was like, what are you guys doing? This is one of your more interesting characters. And right out of that, because he didn't have a job, they reached out to him for Reacher. They were wow. like, well, this guy looks exactly like Reacher, I guess. So Yeah, every all the Reacher heads or whatever they call themselves are all happy now because it's not Tom Cruise anymore playing the Reacher character. Right. I really <laughs> hope they call themselves Reacher heads. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, well, I, uh, gosh, I, I went back through the archives to watch some content that I kind of meant to watch, but didn't really end up following through on. <laughs> Why the Last Man? I finished up season one. Oh, geez. how is that? I haven't watched one episode. You know, um, at first I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, at first I was pretty annoyed because I felt like the casting of um, Yurik uh, was really, really off. <laughs> Uh, but as the series has progressed, there's a lot of things I really like about it. I've, I've actually kind of come around to him and I like what they've done with Agent um, 335. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and uh, But they have done some missteps. Uh, the Amazonians are... They basically just shot a bunch of chicks <laughs> naked and they're like constantly like in swimming pools and like bathing and stuff. And I'm like, this is kind of crappy. I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you guys want like a strong, empowered female and I feel like they're trying to be em- empowering, but they don't have their um, breasts cut off for each of them. They they are just women naked. <laughs> so I was like, um... They seem to have on. moved away from that in... Yeah story and stuff in the more like last 20, 30 years. 
Yeah. You know, of not having that because yeah. you know, the Amazon Wonder Woman <laughs> women. True. <laughs> all that. True. Yeah. Just, I mean, just as a comic adaptation, but there is um, a really neat transgender character that I totally, totally love um, out of that show. And he's one of the best parts of the whole thing. So, what is that on? Uh, that is on Hulu. Okay. Yeah. I need to check that out. Well, there... well, so you you said that they've got some missteps. Yeah. You recommend that I check it out. Oh, God. Did you like it enough to... Oh, you might be mad if if you love the comic, but if it's been a while, like it has been for me, or then me it might well. be fine. Okay. Yeah. Wow. yeah. If you've just read the comic, you'll probably be pretty pissed. <laughs> that different. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of it, shifts. Is that why it got some... Because it got just vilified. I, mean, I, I can't imagine why people, I mean, if people love the comic and that's your core audience, then why else would anyone else yeah. be into it? Yeah. yeah the, I think the biggest problem is for me was Beth was a big shift too. So yeah, stupid, stupid stuff, <laughs> but there is other cool stuff. There's some good storytelling in there. So yeah. <laughs> I ran into a weird one. Yeah. Vinegar syndrome has started releasing new movies. Whoa. As well. And I didn't realize that. And I got one of their packs, you know, like get five movies for 90 bucks or whatever. Yeah. And one of them is this film called The Scary of 60. Huh. Yeah, I'm not surprised nobody's all that heard of it. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Let's check this out. One of their other new ones was Censor, which wasn't great, but it was pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. And uh, they put it, you know, they do the same stuff to these new movies they do to their classics. They just put together these beautiful packages. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting one. The storyline of the movie is two young women move into an apartment in New York that they found out was one of Jeffrey Epstein's dens, Aww. as you will call it. I heard about this movie. Uh. And the, so there's this very weird, completely unexplained concept that one of the roommates gets like possessed or something by... Seemingly somebody who must have really loved Jeffrey Epstein because she goes around and like masturbates on his front door uh, and outside his house. I'm going, I'm not sure what they're saying this lady is. Is she supposed to be a victim of his or right. what is going on here? Because she seemed to really, really like him. Yeah. The Some other a lady shows up at the front door and starts talking to the roommate. And immediately I'm like, Alex Jones? Because <laughs> it's, uh, they start spewing. Uh, conspiracy theory stuff like you're to Pizzagate. Oh, you know who killed Jeffrey? I'm pretty sure it was the Clinton Foundation. Mm. <laughs> these are like these weird throwaway that's, lines. That's not a conspiracy, though, right? I mean, we all kind of believe that, don't we? <laughs> well, they did. They did somehow completely conveniently leave off any mention of the current, or probably when they shot this current president that might have been involved with him. Mm. There's no mention of anything like that. <laughs> it's only huh. this corner. I found out later looking up the movie, the lady that wrote it and directed it is a, I don't know if she's a regular, but he sometimes contributed to Alex Jones' show. Oh, <laughs> how weird. Weird. Um, and it's it's so jammed in there that like two thirds of the movie through, I'm going, oh, this is kind of like, if you want to go for it, go for it. I read one guy's review who thought it was satire. It's like, I don't think it's satire because watching the interview with the lady on the disc, she seemed pretty serious about what she was talking about. So, uh, but I don't know. But then all that shit gets put aside. All of the theories behind what's going. 
It's shot in 16 millimeters, so it looks neat. Mm. Um, and then it goes into this really weird ending, which is um, straight out almost like a 70s exploitation movie uh, with weird, kind of gets some weird final ghost things and some battles and stuff. And it gets a lot better mm. <laughs> once you move past the, I have to put these things in my movie moments. You know, I'll, you know, if you want to tell somebody your theories on movies, don't write them. Mm. You know, if you want to put your political or whatever fe- theories of the world into your movie, do it subtly. Yeah. Don't just mm-hmm. write it directly out like they get. Um, and it, you know, it has moments where I'm going, well, if your research is as good and practical things as it is on your theories, because like, I'm giving you an obsidian crystal. I'm like, obsidian's glass. It's not crystal mm-hmm. <laughs> to start with. It's a, it's a glass. And they're like, they're like, well, this obsidian will protect us from the evils of Jeffrey Epstein. Wow. It's, it's an experience of a film, I gotta tell you. <laughs> is, is Jeffrey Epstein somehow in this movie? Like he, his spirit or something? He does make a brief appearance when she's killing the woman who is possessed. Sorry to spoil it's that topical. for you there, guys. I'm not going to watch this movie. <laughs> Sorry. This, this sounds like garbage. Very, this is a odd... Uh, any idea on budget? I don't know. I'm not sure. It was not very high because yeah. the the director is also one of the... She's the actor who says all of the conspiracy-minded stuff is actually the writer-director. Uh, all three of the actors are immediately dislikable. Yeah. I mean, not just the, the roommate that falls for the, the lady who comes in is immediate. It's like, they're supposed to be moving into the camera. Why in the hell are you moving in with this woman? She's awful. (laughs) (laughs) And the woman who gets possessed is sort of just this mousy, uninteresting character. So it's just like, there's basically three people in this movie and all three of them are, are annoying. Uh, so it's like, give me somebody to cheer for here, you know? <laughs> yeah. The the lady falls susceptible to whatever the ghost thing is so quickly that you don't realize it's happening. It's like, minute she's fine, the next minute she's like screwing pictures of the royal family. Because, huh. you know, you got to have the royal family thing involved. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, like, I can't, what... Oh, and everybody working in Hollywood is a pedophile. That line was thrown in, too. Well, we know that's true. (laughs) So, but we're supposed, but but these people are our heroes, like, as in the director really actually is like, yeah, these people are great, though. It seems that way, but I'm not entirely certain at the same time. Weird. It's because, I mean, it's it's a first-time film. And although she does have some filmmaking talent, Mm -hmm. it's not in the writing department. Yeah. Well, when you're a writer, director, actor, then yeah. that's a really, really toxic combo. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was, it was an, it was an interesting viewing experience, though. I gotta tell you. Wow. <laughs> I'm uh, trying to figure out if, if maybe it's a brilliant idea. Is there enough of an audience that is looking for something like that? Like, like the Christian movies, right. the secret oh, Christian yeah, movies. Right. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah, definitely. If you QAnon, yeah, I would think love you it. would. Yeah. Oh yeah, a lot yeah. of this stuff is. I mean, somebody's. Like, we should ask vinegar syndrome. Who is buying <laughs> this? Who do you who do you expect the sales go to? I imagine now that you bought that, Eric, you are on some kind of FBI list. Ooh, fun! <laughs> a a <laughs> different <laughs> one than the last one you bought. <laughs> what I've been on. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. How about we take a little break 
And um, we're going to come back. We're going to be talking about uh, Southern horror or Southern Gothic. Yep. My pick falls into both of those. So. Oh, that's so exciting. Mine wants to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. So this was your subgenre pick. Yeah, I was really excited to explore the world of Southern Gothic slash Southern horror. I haven't been to the South in a little while. I used to frequently make trips down there and I've been missing it. And so this was a good opportunity to dive back into some of that those cultural touchstones that I ran across. It's also one of those picks that I was like, how have we not done this before? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. man. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like looking through our subjects going, we haven't done it. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'll start us off then. Uh, the movie that I went with, I looked at a lot of trailers and a lot of potential picks and a lot of them just were either super low budget or just I looked I don't know, a little too tongue-in-cheek for me. So, of course, I went with Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. I'm afraid not. But he lives in the mirror. You say his name five times, he's supposed to come. That's how he gets you. You guys don't really believe that, do you? There's no such thing as a candy man. Those three big books with John Doe's. What if it's true? What if a candy man does exist? What did you see that night? Ray's body was torn apart by something powerful. have both seen this yeah yeah long yeah. long ago yeah yeah actually i forgot it existed <laughs> as part of the Candyman universe <laughs> well it's like, oh yeah the trailer for it was so good and i was like i don't know this looks like it's gonna be a fun ride uh this film came out in 1995 i will say the rotten tomato critics have it at 25 percent 
Uh, the audience has it at 30, so <laughs> do with that what you will. Sure, sure. Uh, could not find the budget for it, um, but the box office brought in a whopping $13.9 So don't know if that was good or bad. Probably was bad. Um, director is Bill Condor. Um, he's done 21 things, including Mr. Holmes, which is a movie I really hate. Um, <laughs> Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, which cool. is a set of movies that are not great, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Dream Girls, Kinsey, and Gods and Monsters, which is pretty good. Awesome. Wow, okay. I Jeez. know. <laughs> you really took a twist. Got a, he's got a range, this guy. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, the writer, uh, there's several writers. Rand Ravitch has done 11 things. This was his first feature film, and since he's done Astronaut's Wife and three TV series, um, none of which I'd heard of. Mark Kruger uh, has also done 11 things. He's a TV writer who did the Frankenstein miniseries, a couple episodes of Damien, some of Teen Wolf. Uh, he's a producer who was really um, behind things like 4400, Damien, um, Teen Wolf. So he, that's more his thing. And last but not least, of course, Clive Barker, story by. Uh, he's got 43 film credits, <laughs> including Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and Midnight Me Train. So don't know who Clive Parker is, you probably don't. Aren't listening. To yeah, this you're podcast. not really into this podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure why you're here. Welcome, but um, you might need to do some homework. All right. This is starring Kelly Rowan, who I spent the whole time being like, you look so familiar. Who are you? Uh, she's been in 63 things. Um, she's the mom in the OC. So I guess that's where I know her from. Uh, she was also Peter's mother in Hook. She was in ah. The Gate. She was in Lonesome Dove TV series. Also in it, starring uh, Veronica Cartwright as uh, the the mother character. She was, of course, Lambert in Alien um, and Felicia Alden in Witches of Eastwick. She was in The Birds, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, lots of TV and still really working today. Bill Nunn, I recognized as uh, he's the reverend in this, not like a huge role, but I was like, I know you, they powdered your hair white so you look old, but you're not. <laughs> um, he was in the Spider-Man Raimi films as Joseph Robbie Robertson. Um, he's kind of in oh, it yeah. throughout. Yeah, he's in all three films. He's also in Extreme Measures, Kiss the Girls, Runaway, uh, Runaway Jury. And last but not least, um, Tony Todd as Candyman. Uh, Tony Todd has been in 241 things. <laughs> That man, my God. Of course, he's been in Candyman, uh, also in The Rock, The Crow. Um, he does a lot of voice acting now. I think that's where a lot of his credits come from. So um, just Half-Life Alex, he just did um, the voice of Zoom. He was in the Flash TV series um, and also showed up recently in 14 episodes of Young and the Restless, which I feel like I really want to hunt down. Really? Huh. That's a very small amount of episodes. I know, but... Just a, long enough to have a story stint, you know? Right, right. Like, what is that? That's two weeks? Yeah. 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 Watch that, and then you're going to start talking about the young and the rest and every time you go, oh, man, I got to find out what happened to <laughs> when she went off the cliff and I didn't see the car crash. I don't know. My <laughs> comes back with be late, guys. I was watching my story. <laughs> <laughs> my mom and gr grandmother and aunt all religiously watched uh, soaps when I was growing up, and I never <laughs> caught on, so I think I'm safe. Um, I was the one watching Star Trek and, like, the Beauty and the Bo Beast TV series. And they're like, what are these monsters? 
All right. Um, the plot of this, we come in three years after the Candyman murders in Chicago. Uh, we start off with Professor Purcell has written a book all about the Candyman. Um, it's really a cool looking book, actually. It looks almost like a, a mix between a Stephen King, sort of a front cover with a dripping, you know, red Candyman letters. And it's got a, a reflective mirror jacket. It's a really cool idea for a Candyman book. Um, he's come to New Orleans to do a lecture on the mythology of the character. Um, someone in the audience asks if he thinks uh, Candyman is real. And he he's like, of course he's not real. And they're like, all right, prove it. And he's like, I will. And he picks up the book, which has the mirror cover. And he says Candyman in it five times. And then a immediately a giant hook comes out from behind a screen and gets him right in the gullet. And then he's like, ha ha ha, got you guys. It's my assistant. Good job, Bill, or whatever. <laughs> so the, this movie loves a I fake love out. your reading of that script. <laughs> <laughs> so Man, it was, uh, th this has so many fake outs is ridiculous. Um, so of course, after the, the lecture, somebody follows him out, a guy named Ethan, uh, Tarrant, who is very, very angry with the professor. In fact, he holds him partly responsible for his father's death. Uh, his father believed in the candy man and had reached out to this guy. And the guy had basically said, we'll just say his name. You'll see he's nothing. And of course, um, Ethan's father uh, died in a really horrific way. Ethan follows this professor into a bar, basically attacks him, and then is thrown out. Uh, the professor goes into the restroom alone, the perfect place to go, definitely not where you'll be killed by a candy man. <laughs> and in one of the stalls, a man appears, a black man appears. And goes out and washes his hands. I knew it. This <laughs> is a handsome black guy. He's looking at the dude like, what's your problem? He's like, I wrote this book. <laughs> it's really awkward. I but wouldn't like, have been cool if he gets to the sink and he's washing a hook. <laughs> yeah, that would be so good. I'd be like, man, Candyman's looking good. Um, <laughs> and then, um, of course, dude leaves and um, the, the door swings a few times. The lights go out and actual Candyman appears and really kills him for real this time. So... New Orleans is being stalked by Candyman activity. There have been several killings in the last year. <laughs> There's just like artwork all over the place. There's a, a bunch of um, pieces of paper that have been printed off, obviously very hastily with a, a hook hand and a big no symbol through it. I was like, man, that's a creative. No artwork. Candyman. No Candyman. <laughs> we don't want you here, sir. Be out. Um, and of course, Ethan is now being blamed for all of these murders because, uh, he attacked the guy right before, um, his murder. Now his sister, Ethan's sister is an art teacher who teaches art to low income students. I think I'm not really sure. Um, but you know, she's that, that magical white girl teacher who is working in the inner city, um, helping out these kids, uh, really giving them something they can't get anywhere else, I guess. She is called away to go and talk to her brother, who's now in prison. Um, and she tells Ethan, who has now written a full confession to this murder, she's like, you have to tell them the truth. There's no way you did this. Like, why are you confessing to this murder? And he's like, don't worry about it. Stay out of my business, sis. And she's like, it has something to do with our father, doesn't it? Yes. 
you're on the journey I am on. <laughs> All right, cool. Father, got it. All right, in the art class, she returns. One of her students starts drawing Candyman. And she, of course, tells everyone, look, you gotta, it's, he's not real. And they're like, no, he's been killing all the people in our neighborhood. And she's like, no, like, come on. You guys are taking this way too seriously. So she walks over to a mirror in the classroom and she's like, I'm gonna prove it. This is nothing. And says the name five times. And a bee appears at the window. <laughs> she and another student goes out and looks at the bee for a long time. It's very weird. Yeah. <clears throat> So soon Candyman is, of course, stalking her, um, killing the people around her. He wants her to join him. This should all sound pretty familiar. There's, of course, more to the story. Her family is somehow intertwined with his history of some kind. It definitely has nothing to do <laughs> with the, <laughs> her house that she grew up in that was on an old plantation. And in like one of the early scenes, she's like, yeah, there's the slave quarters down there. But my father said that, you know, we could never play down there. I'm like, mm, check off slave quarters. <laughs> Gotta come back. <laughs> and sure enough, don't worry, it does. It's a pretty neat film. We've got it all set against the New Orleans backdrop, getting ready for Mardi Gras. It's kind of in this countdown um, timeline. Uh, the She's kind of we're just following her all around the city as she's trying to put things together. It's pretty neat because we get to see like the big cemetery in the New Orleans um, area. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's very, very cool. Um, you get to walk through the Glenn is yelling at you right now. I know. <laughs> I, oh, I almost had it. It's like in there. I've been there. It's great. You know, I don't know. I this the story isn't really worth delving too far into. I think if you really are a Candyman completionist, feel free to go and check it out. It's <laughs> Candyman fair. There's Candyman. He does the Candyman things. Uh, do, I thought that the Candyman was supposed to be in Chicago. Why is he in New Orleans? Well, they write a story just for that. So, I mean, the slave quarters because they rewrite some of the history, and he was now a slave. There. I don't know why he was in Chicago now. <laughs> I'm a little confused about that. I was like, wait, wasn't he from Chicago? And that's why he's in Chicago? And like... Twin Tony Todd's. Yes. One I, Chicago, I... one New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> His soul was split in many pieces, much like a broken mirror. Ooh. Oh, there you go. Yes. You've already come up with a cooler idea than anything <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, um, I will good. say that the ending actually has a really interesting um, getting rid of Candyman moment. They have some really early bad CGI going on where they do break him into pieces. It's both awesome and really awful at the same time. So uh, some some general thoughts on this film. Um, the art in it, actually, aside from those like print-offs that look really bad, throughout the art is really good. She goes into her old ab abandoned home at one point. Um, they had left, I don't know why, they don't explain it, but her family had left this big, beautiful mansion and it's now filled with like homeless people and uh, it's got a lot of graffiti on the walls and it feels really authentic. Mm. And in fact, a lot of stuff that they walk through and go around feels very true to the South. Um, but in her home, when she goes up to the, the, I don't know, the attic area, there's a huge, several huge murals of the Candyman and they are gorgeous to look at. Um, I think they did a really great job of showing a city that is very artistic and takes that art and expels their pain through it yeah. in a really neat way. Nice. However, <laughs> there are issues. For example, 
uh, when she goes to the courthouse to uh, try to help her brother. Apparently, it's really hot. We know this because everyone talks about how hot it is. <laughs> and there are these like uh, fans moving real slow, real like <laughs> Southern slow. There you go. Twisting around. Everyone's like, God, it's so hot. Except for everyone's wearing long sleeves. And like <laughs> the, one of the dudes is in a leather jacket with like the fur rim. I'm like, what? This is unbelievable, guys. If it's hot, wear like shorts or some shit. Everyone should be sweating. This is stupid. Um, there also the soundtrack throughout this is extremely not the music, the sound effects throughout this are extremely frustrating. Every time there's a jump scare, there's this like pig squeal sound that's like <laughs> and the first time it happened, I was like, is there where's the pig? There is no pig. You're just supposed to be surprised. And a lot of the jump scares are not that like you know it's about to happen. It's like a guy is going to put a hand on a shoulder. You know, because you see him behind her hanging out and then he just walks forward and puts his hand on her shoulder and she jumps and they make the sound. I'm like, uh, that's not how a jump scare works. Not Exorcist 3, huh? <laughs> Could you make that sound again? Uh, <laughs> Nice. It's almost like a pterodactyl pig. That's the only way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, also uh, kind of bookending this. There's a VO throughout that's the this radio host who's like the, the kingfisher is what this dude calls himself. And he's got that real, um, guys, watch out. It's Mardi Gras coming down. And this is our time to party, whatever, whatever. But he sounds like a cool black dude. And then at the end, you see him in the float and he's just a fat white guy. And I was extremely <laughs> disappointed. But they also way overutilize him to give away like plot and to explain what's happening like all the time. He's like, tuck your kids in at night. The candy man might be coming for him. He's been making appearance all day long. Like, okay, dude, great. Yeah, it's a little too much. And just a lot of logic flaws, just a lot of lo logic flaws all the way throughout this whole thing. It's just a lot of times you're like, why did you say that to that person? They don't care. Um, <laughs> um, also, uh, the familial connection between our lead female character and Candyman, spoiler, there is some kind of line. Maybe he might be her great, great grandfather. So every time he tries to say, come away with me, I basically want to fuck you in hell. I'm like, that is your great grand, great, great granddaughter. That's gross. Don't do that, sir. I'm sorry. I need some level of respect for the candy man. And you are really taking it away. Just a little bit of trivia, not, not a ton on this. Bernard Rose originally conceived a sequel to the 1992 hit Candyman as not featuring the eponymous character at all, but instead continuing to explore the nature of the urban horror myths. This was quickly um, scratched out when the producers figured out that audiences were only going to show up if they because uh, they wanted to see Candyman eviscerate sure. his victims, which makes sense. The director of uh, Candyman originally had another concept in mind for the sequel, which was um, they, he wanted, okay, he basically says he's pissed. I have a quote here. They originally wanted to, us to do Candyman 2, but they didn't like the idea for the sequel, they made the Candyman into a slave, which was terrible because the Candyman was educated and raised as a free man. Um, we wanted to make him like the African-American Dracula, which I think was so appealing to the African-American community because they finally had their own Dracula. The Candyman was a poet and smart. He was really, uh, he wasn't really a monster. He was sort of a classical figure. Um, 
And somebody else says the sequel that Bernie wanted to make was his prequel where you see Candyman and Helen fall in love. It was all turned down because the studio didn't want to do an interracial love story. Um, Bloody Disgusting in 2020 reported that the there was another unmade follow-up titled Candyman 2, The Midnight Meat Train. Uh, Rose was meant to be the director once again, and it was supposed to be all about a mythological fi- uh, figure haunting the early 90s London. The sequel would have been somewhat based on Clive Barker's Books of Blood, short story taking place in the subway. Um, the Midnight Meat Train-inspired follow-up went unproduced until, obviously, it became a movie. Um, because the the studio felt like the screenplay was just too risky. The only scene that was left in place from the original draft was uh, when Candyman um, is shows up and kills the professor. Uh, there was also a lot of controversy about the poster um, because used to advertise Candyman too, because this was during the O.J. Simpson trial, and it was still very public and ongoing. So the picture of a black man stalking a white woman was seen as controversial, and <laughs> and the original artwork was quickly omitted. Um, the movie is available from Shout Factory and streaming free on Paramount Plus and Prime. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This poster or the poster I remember has like a beautiful woman kind of in white and. She's kind of staring up or something and there's like a honeycomb or is that, am I, I thinking of the right? I, I feel know. like the, the one I saw is like him and some bees. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a few floating around. Probably. But yeah. Cause a lot of times I'll get the uh, video cover. Yeah. Confused with the movie cover. Sure. Yeah. I just remember thinking about the only thing I liked about this movie was the poster art. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I think there was things in there that I enjoyed, but the actual writing was pretty rough. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, let's go to even rougher then. Oh, fancy. Going back down into the Severin vaults for 1981's A Day of Judgment. To the house of the Lord. This is mine, say up the Lord. The whole thing holds together as a kind of, to me, a kind of a almost like an EC comics with a with a slight Christian twist to it. I was tasked with creating some more exciting demise for some of the characters. I was living the dream at that point. Start out by saying this was another one with absolutely no ratings on Rotten Tomato. <laughs> it was findable, though. <laughs> Unlike uh, The Undertaker, which, you know, <laughs> wasn't even there. This was directed by Charles Reynolds, only film he directed, written by Tom McIntyre, the only film he wrote. <laughs> Here's where we get to the people who've done some stuff. William T. Hicks starred in, was in Hooch and Death Screams. Mm-hmm. Harris Bloodworth and Deborah Bloodworth were both in Return of the Co- Return and the Curse of the Jackalope. <laughs> I kind of want to see at least one of those. Uh, Susan Bloodworth was also involved, so it's a little family there. Uh, not a single. I don't think there may have been one, but I don't think a single actor in the entire movie has an IMDb photo. 
And I don't believe the director or the writer do as well. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, so I'm guessing you know, somebody else put this up on IMDb for them. Um, the opening credits are a very bizarre Renaissance music. <laughs> what is this movie going to be? And boy, I had no clue. <laughs> There's a, It opens with a scene of obviously very low budget. A very low budget regional film shot in depending on who you look, listen to, either North or South Carolina. But uh, so we start off with this guy who's kind of an asshole and talking about how he likes to satisfy the customers uh. <laughs> while talking to the lady he's helping. Yeah. Um, the, the movie's very hard to place in time initially because the clothing is um, late 1800s, early 1900s probably, but the rooms they're in are, <laughs> you know, it looks like the walls around us right now, as far as the white and the, yeah. the way they're designed. <laughs> so going, shot in somebody's apartment. Yeah. Um, I think it was, no, it was the 1920s, it's supposed to be. Um, so it looks like they, you know, they went to, they found a good local theater and raided their wardrobe for the stuff. Although they did have three fairly nice era cars. Oh, cool. In, in the, they actually had three because they were all in one shot together. <laughs> oh, like all right, pull that one off. <laughs> and then there's uh, there's a priest wandering around who's in a lot of debt who goes to a banker who turns him down and tries to get new things. And the guy's like, you know, usury used to be against the Bible. <laughs> the, the bank manager doesn't care. <laughs> I bet. Uh, for some reason, there are three, and there this is never explained. But for some reason, whenever the priest shows up and goes someplace, there's three older women dressed all in black following him around. I don't know why. Priesty stuff, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. They never they they they're the only people in the church he's preaching to at the beginning of the movie, okay. and then they only appear a couple times with him, and then at the end of the movie again. I don't know what they. I don't have anything in my Catholic roots to give answers with. <laughs> The, what's the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, maybe? Sure. <laughs> uh, you can kind of, maybe you're starting to put together what this movie's going to be. <laughs> um, there's, then there's the scene of, it skips and skips. So there is no through line in this movie. It's a ser- almost a series of vignettes. And you get introduced to these new characters and sometimes they cross over between the vignettes and sometimes they're just, here's their story and it's done. And you never, you almost, you don't see them again for until the end. Um, this one now is a bunch of um, little kids playing with a, a ball that gets into the old lady's yard and she yells at them and they send their pet goat to fetch the ball for them. Sure. <laughs> As you want to do. <laughs> As a child in the 20s. Uh, we don't have dogs and cats yet. I have a goat. <laughs> dogs and cats hadn't been invented yet. That's right. <laughs> And, uh, but she kills the goat. So I was like, oh, okay, shit. And now we move to the gas station guy. I'm just going to run through these kind of quick. But, um, and he's like, uh, putting his family away in the, put them, put them in the old folks home against their will, gets them to sign away their legal rights and stuff. And, um, so now we finally get a a killer in the movie is the Grim Reaper. And comes and takes out the lady that killed the goat. <laughs> so she comes out and all of her flowers have been ruined. And then ground opens up and pulls her down. And it's like, oh, nice. Right. 
basically, this movie's full of awful people doing awful things. Adultery. Pretty sad adultery, because, well, as this as, as the notes and trivia will let you know, this movie was shot with religion in mind. So these two go to their house to commit adultery against the de- the guy who's out of town. And apparently at some point they went upstairs and they did it and came back down. I don't, I thought they were still just talking in the front room about having an affair. Like, Oh, they, they did. <laughs> Cause when the guy comes home, I'm going, well, you guys didn't technically do anything yet. There's actually a couple decent performers. <laughs> There's a, uh, a sheriff who shows up in several of them, like he's there with the kids and the goat and a few other ones that, okay, he's pretty good. Because I'm pretty sure this was all put together by that same theater that provided the clothing, where you get the regional actors, where there's always one or two of them that are pretty damn good. And he was one of those. Uh, the, <laughs> the Grim Reaper instantly reminded me of Robert England in The Phantom. Hmm. The weird makeup they did on him. I mean, yeah. it's nowhere near as good. Okay. But it had that look. There's a brief scene of a guy getting his head cut off that's bizarrely graphic in the rest of this film. I'm just going to spoil the end of this movie because if you want to watch it, you're still going to want to watch it no matter what I say. But I'm guessing a lot of you are not going to want to watch this. It basically ends with the all the awful people following Grim Reaper into hell or whatever. And then um, every one of them waking up Christmas Carol style, realizing that they haven't died, they haven't gone to hell, and they can redeem themselves. Oh, my God. So the end of the movie is the church that only had three people in it suddenly has like hundreds of people going into this church. Oh, my God. Led in by the three ladies and they all black. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So. The only real devout Christians, Catholics, whatever they are. The. So, you know, that's the the end. Instead of saying the end, it's the beginning. Oh, no. And then the Ten, cre- ten Commandments <laughs> scroll past. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Remind me what this movie is called? Uh, Day of Judgment. Day? And it's advertised and uh, promoted as uh, a slasher film. A southern did you get film. did you get secret Christian filmed? I did. <laughs> oh, that's put cute. out by Severin. <laughs> and it looks it looks fantastic. It's Does treated it? like okay. every Severin movie. They've oh got God. interviews with some of the people that were involved in making it. And uh it, it by the end, uh, through the middle, I'm going, well, this is kind of boring and dull. By the end, once you sort of figure out what's going on, it's like this is a fascinating curiosity of a film. <laughs> a couple of the taglines first here. The night he came to collect his own. Don't Something. even know what that's supposed to mean. And uh, with his power scythe, sinners are award, award, awarded their just punishment. <laughs> no one should ever be forced to say that out loud. Right. <laughs> bad, yes. <laughs> However, the guy who did the music for it worked on, he wasn't full composer, but the soundtrack or something they called him, has worked on 53 other projects, including Zombieland, Deliverance, oh. Cop Out, and the Muppet Show, or the Muppet movie. <laughs> Whoa. They must have given him a truck full of money. Yeah, I don't know if he was local or already knew the people. Weird. It was shot over six weeks. When they were shooting it, if they were shooting on a Saturday night, they had to stop at midnight. Uh, uh, I sure. could not shoot at Sunday right. at all. That's the Lord's Day. That's right. Wow. Um, the 
when it first was starting to be put out there, the studio said, I don't, we don't know what to do with this. You know, that, that direct marketing thing from the 50s was going, 60s was going away, and they haven't quite, they haven't got to what you can do now where you can just put it out on video and show it at churches or whatever. So they inserted the violent scenes. The original sin of the old lady who killed the goat was just that her flowers were going to die. So he went back in and shot a scene with the Grim Reaper there and her being pulled into the ground. And another, some, a different director shot the guy getting his head cut off and all this other wow. weird stuff to make it a horror movie. Okay. So that was the point. They were like, well, how do we get this into theaters? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. You can only do this as a horror movie because nobody's going to see it otherwise is kind of what they went with. <laughs> Nobody's going to see it. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, it was the, one of the main interviews was Stephen Thrower wrote the giant book of Nightmare USA, which in all the movie books I own is the largest. It's frigging huge. It's like a little larger than your average coffee table book and almost 600 pages long. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Whoa. Like, Buddy, make volumes. Come he, on. He was fun to listen to, too. He's a really good interview. The apparently when this was put out, I think it came out last year. There's a couple truncated interviews because Severin's working on a documentary involving either this film or I don't know if it's going to be another one of their series of odd religious based or odd, odd locally made films or something. I don't know. It was originally intended to as a film to be shown in film and be shown in churches, but they couldn't get any funding in it. Hmm. And they, Tried to work around. I'm not sure how they did it as a horror movie before it was cut. It depends on who you listen to. Things happened at different times. The director they hired was an atheist. Uh, so the producers were the ones putting on the, right. you can't shoot on the Sabbath thing this going on. This is just on. Ed Wood. Oh I was my wild. God. Um, the film was not re-released in a large audience, largely because the producer, they tried to self-distribute it. So it just died on the vine. Nothing yeah. happened with it. Um, and in a weird twist of Severin crossover, Charles, the director, was an AD for Al Adamson <laughs> <laughs> on his really, really strange children film, um, Carnival Magic. He also acted in it. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize he had a children's film. Oh, man, it's weird. And it's borderline children's, but it's a story of a gorilla in the circus. Or not a gorilla, but a chimpanzee in the circus. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ooh, okay. That, the, that was unique. Wow. What an experience. <laughs> it that was is cool. Bunk. What, so just remind me, what year did this movie come 81. out? 81. Okay. So 81 set in the. Wow. <laughs> Holy okay. smokes. Yeah. Well, I was. Um, I looked through a bunch of films. I thought I was going to do Skeleton Key. Mm. With, oh, uh, sure. I can't remember her name right now, but. Uh, the one anyway. blonde lady. Yeah, very pretty. <laughs> and I started watching it and I, I remember kind of liking it. And 15, 20 minutes into it, I could not see at all why I liked it. I was oh, like, geez. this is a snooze fest. What was I thinking? Mm. So I did a little more research and I found for the first time watch. Eaten Alive. If you were one of the millions of moviegoers who were electrified by the unbearable suspense and sheer terror of Jaws, get ready for Eaten Alive. (coughs) (coughs) 
by Toby Hooper, maker of the screen sensation, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Marty Rustin presents a new horror classic, Eaten Alive. Into this house of terror comes a handful of unsuspecting innocents. Hello? What happens to these people in Eaten Alive will give you the most chilling, terrifying 90 minutes you ever spent in a theater. Rustom presents Eden Alive, Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones, Stuart Whitman, Neville Brand. Get ready for Eden Alive, a new horror classic. Uh, 1976, budget of $520,000. I could find no box office information. The Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at 35%, and the audience has it at 30%. Directed by Toby Hooper who directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He did the Salem's Lot TV miniseries. He might have directed some of Poltergeist. Uh, mm-hmm. Written by El- Alvin L. Fast, who wrote Satan's Cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. Marty Rustum, who wrote Evils of the Night, which is like real bargain basement bullshit. And Kim Henkel, who wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last Night at the Alamo, and The Unseen. Uh, Neville Brand is the lead in this as Judd. He has 138 credits, including The Ninth Configuration, Tora, 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 Birdman of Alcatraz, uh, Mel Ferrer, who has 108 credits. He was in Nightmare City, The Sun Also Rises, The Knights of the Round Table. Marilyn Burns returns for more torture <laughs> after appearing in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> she was also in Future Kill, and she is in the 2022 Texas Chainsaw on Netflix this month. Huh. which is kind of a Halloween kind of oh. remake. Yeah, I've heard about it. But... Playing herself 50 years later. Oh, my kids, God. And I was like, oh, boy, okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. If I was a stretch in Halloween, that's a, a real pro- a real stretch. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch it. Oh, yeah. Uh, this also has Robert England in it. Whoa. Who was Freddy okay. in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Okay. Eric, you've seen oh, this. Oh, yeah. Vanessa, you have not seen this. Correct. This is a weird one. Yes. (laughs) It opens with a shot of a belt buckle being popped open and a man saying, my name is Buck and I'm raring to fuck. Oh my God. And we are in a room in a whorehouse, although this is the shoddiest set I have ever seen. (laughs) And if I walked into a movie being shot on this set, I would turn right around and leave (laughs) how much I was being paid because they've literally tacked like a velvet curtain on one wall and pushed a bed up against it. And the rest of the place is just white walls that look like they were just thrown up real quick um it's uh it it in no way looks like a real room in a house even a 1976 horror, horror house 
But uh, Buck is Robert England, and he is with a pretty young whore. As you do. Yeah. And he's paid his 20 bucks and he wants anal sex. Oh, And whoa. she is not okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the going rate for anal sex is. <laughs> it's got to be more than 20. I would think so. You guys ever tried anal sex? I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> I'll just tell you this. It sounds fun, but it really hurt my butt. <laughs> anyway, he tries to anally rape her in this opening scene. And she puts up enough of a fight that the owner of the whorehouse, played by a very weird looking Carolyn Jones, who was Morticia in the original Adams Family TV show. He throws or she throws her out and she has to move on. And she ends up at Judd's sleazy motel which is the Starlight Hotel. This is not a hotel by any means. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is a two-story house with a big, huge swamp uh, right off of the side porch, and the swamp is all fenced. So uh, it seems like she's going to be our protagonist. Uh, Judd, the owner of the place, quickly makes her feel awful for being a whore and then also fondles her up because she is a whore. (laughs) Jesus. But when she resists him, she is tossed off the front deck and into the pond where Judd's pet alligator quickly chows down on her. Oh, I saw that coming. Uh, (laughs) Points to Toby for wanting to show the monster immediately, but he really should have held up. (laughs) This thing is a ridiculous looking prop, uh, and it's also not a big prop. The alligator is like maybe, I don't know, 12 feet long and six of it is tail. So... If you are being attacked in real life by a 12-foot-long alligator, terrifying. But we are used to 30-foot-long alligators in our movies, and uh, this looks silly because it's just, you know, one of those mouth-opening things that looks looks ridiculous, and it is, yeah, it's definitely an alligator. Uh, Vanessa, do you know the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Oh, my God. I've been waiting for this day, and I'm not prepared. An alligator, I'll see you later. And a crocodile I'll see you in a while. Oh my God. That's beautiful. Holy crap. <laughs> the best part is, Facebook. I think I've used this joke on you three times in the course of our show, and no you way. always fall for it. Really? Yes. I love oh. it about you. <laughs> I have no memory of this. It's forgettable. <laughs> All right, now. Shortly like after she dies, um, a family shows up. They end up getting a room, and you think you're going to identify with any of them, but we soon find out that the husband is some kind of weird, fucking sweaty, unhinged dude. And after their family dog is eaten by the gator, the husband takes matters into his own hands and is quickly fed to the gator himself. (laughs) And the wife and the daughter are attacked by Judd. The wife is uh, Marilyn Burns from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And she spends the rest of the movie tied to a bed screaming. (laughs) While the daughter, who's like eight, manages to escape under the porch. But she is routinely attacked by Judd, who's like shoving stuff down between the slats and the oh. porch trying to get her, and the alligator that is trying to get her from the sides. Oh, my God. So uh, she barely escapes every time. It's it's ridiculous and fun. This <laughs> alligator, you just need to watch this for this alligator, which yeah. is so bad looking. <laughs> and uh, this is about the time that I realized that Toby was playing a big joke on us because Judd, who is the awful owner of the Starlight Hotel, is our protagonist in this super sleazy nightmare logic film. It is oh my God. so weird looking. Yeah. Uh, another couple arrives and they're actually the parents of the whore from the first scene <laughs> and they're looking for their daughter. They get very suspicious very quickly. Um, the screaming woman tied to the bed is a big 
right leg. <laughs> uh, and let me just say that the cycle continues and you're kind of beaten up by the ridiculous horror of this film because everybody gets killed, everybody gets thrown into the swamp, everybody gets eaten by the gator. Yeah. That's one happy gator. Yeah. Um, much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the women in this film exist only to suffer. Sure. And uh, the men are either completely worthless or deranged beyond belief. <laughs> and it really made me wonder what was going on in Toby's life before film. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. Mm. Like, what, where is he drawing this inspiration and this idea about humanity from? Yeah, it is bleak. And, um, <laughs> wow. and also it cemented for me, my belief that he had very little to do with the directing and Poltergeist, no matter what Mick Garris says. Yeah, yeah. it's totally so... It's, dissimilar yes absolutely uh buck shows up again being his sleazy self takes advantage of someone and then is killed in a pretty satisfying way maybe the only satisfying death in the movie is this guy being killed finally and i'm sure you can guess what judd's final fate is (laughs) so i won't get into the ending of this film but i will say that um as i was watching it i couldn't look away Mm. um there was some kind of weird fascination and I think I kind of like it. It is streaming free on Tubi. Um, it has this bizarre, unrealistic look to the entire thing, which is weird because Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this is his movie right after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is almost documentary looking. Yeah. It's yeah. hyper-realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is, it doesn't even look like it takes place on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a studio. It is, but the, so um, the exterior is a huge set. The exterior of the hotel is a huge set. Um, everything looks fake. The, the trees and everything around it look fake. And the lighting looks like they're on Mars. Everything outside is red. It's lit, lit by a dull red glow, and all wow. the shadows are blue. Huh. And it's just like, what the fuck? And there is a uh, fog machine going or something. Um, <laughs> that makes it look like something is on fire, like right off of the edge of the camera. <laughs> oh my God. It's so thick. Um, uh, inside, in between the weird kills, is just Judd at the center of everything. And he's either mumbling to himself, or he's moving from room to room to hear what's going on in different parts of his hotel, or he's singing, or he's dusting furniture, uh, he's turning a lamp on, or he's reading a magazine, and it's it's just this weird shit going on in between the awful deaths, and uh, all of this is being scored by this uh, freaky, bizarre electronic soundtrack that I guess Toby Hooper composed. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. Oh my god! This sounds like somebody who got all the toys. And was like, oh my God, I finally have a set and I finally have lights and I finally have a fog machine and I can finally use a monster. I, I, what? And not only that, but $520,000 to make it. So oh, that must have wow. seemed like, you know, he hit the big time yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay. I have a little bit of trivia here and it doesn't involve the difference between a crocodile and an alligator. I'm going to try to remember next time. Okay. <laughs> The plot was very loosely based on the story of Joe Ball, also known as the Bluebird from South Texas or the Alligator Man, who owned a bar with a live alligator attraction during the 1930s in Elmendorf, Texas. During this time, several murders of women were committed by Ball, and the legend is that he would dispose of his victims' bodies by feeding them to his pet alligators, but it was never proven that the flesh found in the pit was human. 
Oh God. God. However, Joe Ball committed suicide at his bar on September 24th, 1938, when he was about to be arrested by police in connection with the murders. Sounds totally innocent to me. Sure. <laughs> Filmed entirely on the sound stages of Raleigh Studios in Hollywood, California, which had a large-scale pool that could double as a swamp, shooting on a sound stage instead of a practical location contributed to the atmosphere of the film which director Toby Hooper described as a surreal, surrealistic twilight world. However, the film eventually proved to be problematic for the director who left the, so, the set shortly before production ended due to a dispute with the producers. Whoa. Uh, it says here the fog effects of, for the swamp scenes were used uh, using dry ice in the style of earlier Hollywood horror films. That's fun. Uh, first line of dialogue. My name is Buck. I'm here to fuck. In Kill Bill, Volume 1, actor Michael Bowen's character, Buck, repeats the exact line before forcing himself on a comatose bride. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, up to his old tricks. Yep. Absolutely. When Eaten Alive was released on home video under the title Death Trap in 1982, the film became one of the first of the so-called video nasties to be prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act. Wow. And then finally... Ken Henke, in the official Splatter Movie Guide, reappraised the film as a misunderstood masterpiece that captured the otherworldly madness of the death of the amateur Knight and Dixie brand of the American dream. Not sure that I would go as far to say that it is a misunderstood masterpiece, (laughs) but I I did kind of enjoy this. And then finally, um, I liked this one. Bill Gibran of Pop Matters gave it a rating of 6 out of 10 stars, (laughs) noting that the film's sloppy script poor lighting, and lack of narrative sense, but uh, stated that the film was so undeniably inept, so horrendously hobbled, <laughs> so gosh darned god-awful that it's friggin' great. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do kind of agree with that. Well done, Bill Gibran. Even yeah. alive on Tubi. Yeah, the, the Tobe Hoper catalog does indicate that Poltergeist was not his... So much his stuff, because Ian Alive is so, when he's given that much control, is just gritty and dark and uncomfortable and not in an entertaining way. Right. And although, you know, you get to the Salem's Lot miniseries, the TV miniseries, and it's pretty good. It's pretty Mm -hmm. straightforward. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Mm. I'm sure he had a lot to do with it, but I'm also sure he had a lot of. Like, Spielberg over there talking to the, what you talking to the DP about? Nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Or maybe Spielberg. Um, I can't see Toby directing the children in Poltergeist. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah. I see that as a very Spielbergian feeling yeah. part of that movie. So, hmm. okay. Um, that means I believe that it is my turn for the next subgenre. Ooh. Bit. And I've got a good idea, you guess. Okay. okay. It goes like this. Jungle Boogie. Jungle Boogie. I have to watch a 70s boogie movie? No, you have to come up with a genre film that takes place in the jungle. Oh, okay. I can do that. That sounds great. (laughs) Uh, On top of that, um, this is the part where we say thanks to everybody for participating in the value for value model, for liking and sharing posts and sharing when the episode drops and sending us notes. Thanks again, Andrew, for the nice discussion. I had a lovely mm-hmm. long discussion with, uh, Danny Williford the other day and Ron and us were going back and forth on what to watch on shutter and all that. And we, <laughs> we really appreciate 
all of that stuff, yeah. right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We yeah. love our listeners. We love that somebody is, you know, appreciating all the time and effort and also, you know, That's joy right. that we share in the show. Yeah. That brings me back to what I said earlier. Uh, don't fight with your friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. There's no need. You can talk to them like they're people that you care about. Absolutely. <laughs> like they're people you care about. They're not actually people you care about, but they're like you. Pretend that you like them and have a nice discussion. Yeah. All right, guys, we'll take off now. We'll be back in one week and we're talking uh, Jungle Boogie. Brain Geons Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Margaret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's almost like a pterodactyl pig.